Isn't that a wonderful old hymn? To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke 12 this morning. We heard in Sunday school, I was in the class zipping through Matthew, doing a survey. We heard of a Canaanite woman that had heard about the Lord Jesus. And she went to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, help me, O son of David. And the the teacher asked, how did she hear about who the Lord was? And today's reading in Luke 7 brought back a memory from when my seminary days, I got to go to a on a trip to Israel with a few other students. And I remember, if you go to the Temple Mount, there are two mosques. And I went in the first one, and I thought to myself, I don't think I can go into the other one, the big, more famous one. I don't even think I can go in there. So while everybody went in there, I went off by myself to the right And coming up the path from me was a Muslim group that was carrying a dead body in a rolled-up carpet in a wooden box, just like we prayed about, read about today in, in Luke 7. And they were walking past me, and I thought, who will tell them about the Lord Jesus? We have a young man in our picture there. His name is Marwan. He's Moroccan. And in God's providence, he's taken a young girl that grew up in the Love of God Church in Madrid and crossed their paths. And they were married ago a year ago this month. And they are witnessing to Christ's goodness in Morocco. And God is taking and calling out a people for his name's sake from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And the Lord Jesus talked about the nations. If I was to ask you, and this isn't a rhetorical question, somebody has to respond. If I were to ask you, does any verse come to mind where the Lord Jesus talks about the nations in the Gospels, what would you say? Any verse? Of course, Matthew 28. What does he say there? Go into all the world and make disciples of who? All nations. Every ethnicity. All these people groups. Now the harder question. Can you think of another one? I was reading my Bible fully intending to preach a message a couple months ago, and that question came to mind as I was reading Luke 12. Is there another verse, another time, when the Lord Jesus talked about the nations? I would like to pray, and I would like to show you three, okay, as we consider what the Lord Jesus says about the needs of the nations. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing Alice and me here this morning. Thank you for the First Baptist Church of Sterling Heights. We thank you for their faithful ministry. I thank you for Pastor Dwight and Grace, for whom I've prayed over the years. And I thank you 
that they could be salt and light here. Thank you for the music we got to hear today, for the hymns we were able to sing, for the privilege of meeting together freely. What a blessing. Now, Lord, I pray that you take your word, stir our hearts, give us a love for you and a love for your word and a love for what you're doing, and help us, Lord, to continue on and to follow Christ faithfully with all of our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me point you to Mark 11. Keep your finger there. We're going to be in Luke 12. But go to Mark 11. And I'm using my old preaching Bible that I've had for over 20 years. It's my old King James. I think you can follow along without any problem. Verse 17. Look at Mark eleven seventeen, And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves? We don't have to talk much about the context. I'm sure you know it. Where Jesus goes and he does something that was quite extraordinary. And he throws out these people who were making the house of God into a place to do business. But please note his words. It is written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Now look at chapter 13, Mark 13. Mark 13, and I'm going to start at verse 5. So nice to hear the pages. I still cannot use my phone. I'm doing it for my devotions, but I, I have a hard time in church using something where I'm not flipping the pages because I'm old, I guess. 13.5. And Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, be you not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves. For they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And then the verse that I want you to know. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. The gospel, that wonderful good news, that you have heard, and if you're here this morning, I would trust that you've come to Christ and given your heart over to him and submitted your life to serve and love God with all your heart. That you would see these words here. The gospel must first go out to all the nations. 
God intends for his house to be a place full of people from all the nations, people from all over the world, and that they pray to him exclusively because they've come to understand who he is and who his son is. In Luke 12, we have another verse. And it, it goes along with this question that I'm asking this morning. How does God, how does God take a pagan, ungodly person and turn him into a believing, worshiping, praying person to himself. And the answer isn't a hard one. He has to do a supernatural work in their heart. He has to work in them so that they stop doubting about who he is and who the Son of God is. And they come to see him in his glory. And they submit their lives and their hearts and their wills to him. And when they do that, they become a praying people. Now I know that there are many people in the world who pray. But I would like to, to submit that many, many people pray hoping that God will answer. Hoping that their God will hear what they're saying. Hoping that he's really looking down and has any concern for what's going on in their life. But the Bible tells us that there's only one God and there's only one mediator between us and him, the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us. And he put on full display God's glory. And that's why I want to turn you to Luke 12, because in this text, that is Luke's account of part of the Sermon on the Mount, we find another, another description that teaches that God changes lost lives and takes them out of their pagan, even those that are praying, their pagan walk of life and turns them into believing, born-again, followers of Christ who are praying to the one and living God, not doubting, but believing. Look at verse 22. And I'm going to purposely read through some of this until we get down to verse 33. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. Life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If you then 
Be not able to do that thing which is least. Why take you thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And seek not you what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. There it is. All these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts. So here we have in this great text, and the Lord Jesus tells them three things not to do. If we could summarize what we just read, he says three things not to do. In verse, 20, in verse 22, he says, take no thought for your life. In verse 29, he says, don't seek after what you're eating or what you shall drink. And in verse 32, he says, fear not, little flock. Three things not to do. People that know God for who he is don't need to do these things. Those are the things that the pagan nations of the world do. And he tells them three things about God in this text. He says, first of all, God feeds the ravens. And God's people are better than the ravens. So he'll care for them. He says that God put the lilies in those fields. And what we see in God's creation shows how God provides and cares and puts his beauty on display. But he says, God the Father always provides for his own. Always. And then he says in verse 32, it is God the Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom. It is God the Father's good pleasure to be a giver to those who know Him. He gives us the kingdom. And He gives, and He gives, and He gives. Once we see Him for who He is, all these things that we used to just hope for about God, whoever we thought He was, they ought to be less and less and less a problem in our lives because God is a wonderful, wonderful Heavenly Father to every child of God who believes 
He's a wonderful Heavenly Father. And so he tells his disciples and his followers to see God this way and to not be like the nations. Now I want to point out this word to you. And I, I went through the Greek classes and the Hebrew classes, but this, this word here in verse 29 is very important. Let's go back to verse 29. And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Jesus tells them to not be of doubtful mind. Now you know what that word is? I'm going to spell the Greek word and you tell me what word comes to mind in English. Okay? Here it is. I'm going to spell it twice. 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 M-E-T-E-O-R-I-Z-O. M-E-T-E-O-R-I-Z-O. What's that word sound like? Meteorite. Meteor. It's the word from which we get the word meteor. And what Jesus is saying is don't be a person whose ideas about God are up in the air like a meteor is up in the air. That's tossed about by the currents and the pools of creation, but has nowhere to land. It's just going around, but not landing anywhere as far as faith is concerned. Don't be of doubtful mind. That's what the pagan nations who don't know God are like. They may are, they're, they're doing what they think they need to do, but when it comes to knowing God and knowing who He is and knowing how He listens and knowing how He cares, they have no real idea because they don't know Him. Jesus tells us as Christ's followers, you know Him because you're His children. One person wrote, be not as meteors in the air that are blown hither and thither with every wind. Do not like them rise and fall, but main, maintain a consistency with yourselves. Be even and steady and have your hearts fixed. Let not your minds be continually perplexed between hope and fear. Let not the children of God make themselves uneasy. I love that line. Don't let your minds be continually perplexed between hope and fear. Between life and death. Between matters that people think they know about but don't because they don't know the one and only living God. I have a Spanish friend. You saw her picture twice in that, but you wouldn't know her. Lily, she's about this tall, walks with these canes because she has a club foot. She's very religious when she tells me, you know, that you keep trying to tell me 
didn't convert me to be a non-Catholic so that I'll stop praying to Mary. And you evangelicals all are trying to get me to stop praying to Mary. And I'm like, no. No, I'm trying to get you to trust the Lord Jesus. And then after that, God takes care of everything else because he helps you to see who God is and who the Son is. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Your pastor mentioned he had COVID. I wear this pin. Well, I wear this pin on this side. Air Force pin, my sister gave it. My brother-in-law died of COVID at 62. I was in a church a couple weeks ago, and the pastor told me they've had eight men die of, die of COVID. I can tell you that in Madrid, they rented out three ice skating, hockey-type skating rinks so that they could put the bodies of the dead people until they could bury them. And one day, my friend Lily called me and she said, my twin sister's sick with COVID and she's in the hospital. And she's in the hallway there in the hospital and I can't go see her. And then she called me and said, my twin sister died and she died alone like a dog in the street. And you know what? A lot of people are facing that issue of not being able to be with their loved ones because of sickness. And they're facing questions about life and death. And let me tell you that the nations of the world don't have the answer. Those who don't know the one and true living God. And the nations of the world fabricate their ideas about who God is. And Jesus said, God provides God cares. Don't fear. He's a wonderful Heavenly Father. And He loves to give. If you're here this morning in the sound of my voice, let me tell you that there's no greater privilege that God gives us than to be one who remains and can be salt and light to someone who doesn't know God the Father. You be that person. You be that witness. And you be steadfast because you're not like a meteor waffling like a meteor in the air. You are one who has come to see God and you have believed and you're growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that includes matters of life and death. And we don't have this agony and sorrow like those who have no hope. But we do sorrow. We do grieve. But we have hope. And so when my brother-in-law got sick and he finally went to the hospital with my sister, and she got to go back home, but he didn't. He went on to glory. I thought to myself, you rascal. <laughs> you get to be with my mom before me. You get to be with the Lord Jesus before me. I'm going to miss seeing you this furlough. But I know where you are. 
as I know in whom you believed. And I know that he is able to keep that deposit that you gave to him. We have a wonderful, wonderful Savior who has opened up heaven's doors to everyone who will believe and put their faith and trust in God through him. Don't ever doubt it. The doubting comes when life gets hard. We do question, Lord, what are you doing? But let me tell you, God is a wonderful, wonderful Heavenly Father to everyone who believes. And he wants us to believe him with all our hearts. Now let me show you one more thing before we close, because I think it's important. Look at Luke 6. We were members and are members by extension of Inner City Baptist. And after we came home, we were staying with a couple for a few days. And, and Uncle Joe, I call him, was fixing the vacuum cleaner of one of the widows or one of the um, shut-ins in the church, one of the elderly ladies, 77 years old. And he says, I'm going to see Bev you want to come with me? And I said, yes. Now, Beverly is probably the only person who the past 20 years has sent birthday cards and Christmas cards to my family in Madrid without fail. She's always writing a note. And so I went over there and I watched them talk about this vacuum for a few minutes. And then she looked at me and she said, and Tim, how are you doing? How is Alice? How is Stephen and Phil and Nick and Lydia? And what about this granddaughter I'm hearing about? What about her, Miriam? How is she doing? How is Alice doing being a grandma? <laughs> you know what? Beverly prays for me and my family, and I stood there and almost started crying because she was current with the little that she knew. She was up to date. She knew that we had a granddaughter last year and that we were hoping to see her, and she was asking. And I thanked her for praying, and she promised to continue. And as, as, as I was leaving, she had, by her back porch door, some more stamped envelopes ready to go to other people. And I said, can I take these to the post office for you? And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Each one of those has a certain time it has to go to get to the person at the right time, and I know when that is. Don't you take my mail, Tim. <laughs> and this is where I want to turn the, the message about Christ's love for the nations to what he said about it is written, isn't it written that my house shall be called of all nations, what? A house of prayer. It's just not about knowing who God is. It's about talking to Him like you know who He is. Because you do. Being a person of prayer. I'd like you to put an asterisk or something by this verse. Luke 6, 
12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Who did that? The Lord Jesus. God the Son, who became man and left an example for us to follow. He went off by himself. Where did he go? He went up into a mountain, a place of beauty, and he prayed. He prayed all night. He didn't always do that. Look at Mark 1. Mark 1. And mark this verse. Verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. You say, Tim, my life is busy. Yeah, his was too. And he found a time because he knew he had to. And he also wanted to. He got up, went off to a solitary place, and Mark records, he prayed. If the Lord Jesus did that and needed to do that, how much more ought we? Now look at John 18. Because he taught his disciples that same lesson. John 18 This is the only verse that, that gives us a reference to this, but you'll know what we're talking about when we read. John 18, 1. says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. What garden is that? The Garden of Gethsemane. Where can we read about the Garden of Gethsemane? Really quick, Mark 14. Mark 14. I want you to see that it wasn't just a once in a while thing. Jesus often took his disciples and went away apart to teach them. Now look at Mark 14. What's the thing that he wanted to teach them before he went to Calvary? Did he open up the Old Testament scriptures and talk about the, the kingdom? Did he open up the book of Isaiah and talk about the suffering servant? No. <laughs> that last time that he had his disciples together as a group, except for Judas, who had gone off to betray him, he taught them about what? Prayer. It's noteworthy. Please don't miss it. It's very noteworthy that he taught them about prayer. And he didn't bang them over the head with how to pray or what to pray, just to pray. Let's read these verses. 32. Mark 14, verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said unto his disciples, Sit ye here, while I shall pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed. 
and to be very heavy. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry you here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he comes again and finds them sleeping and says unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst, couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he comes a third time and says to them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let's go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. So we, we know this story. That Christ takes them one last time to this place that they've been there customarily, to the garden. And he says, my soul is heavy. I need to pray. I want you to pray with me. But you know what? I want you eight to stay here and pray. And then he took three and he said, I want you three to stay here. Pray with me. But I'm going over there. One gospel says he went a stone's throw away. And so he goes over there and he prays. And we know and we can learn and, and hear him pray as the God-man prays to his heavenly Father. I called my niece and nephew. Actually, I texted them. I said, I want to be there for the one-year anniversary of when Brother Lynn when your dad went to glory. Do you care if we drive down to Dallas? Can we be there? And she's like, Uncle Tim, I don't know if that's a good idea. We're still shocked about all this. But her brother wrote me and he says, my mom's going to want you to be here. You come. And you know what I thought? I thought about these words. Jesus says, pray with me. <laughs> but then he went off on by himself to pray. But he said, you pray with me. You, allow, you eight here, you three here, pray with me, but I'm going to go over there and pray by myself. And I just, I just want, in these days when lots of people are suffering, to understand that the Christian who knows God the Father as he is, the one who cares and provides and hears, we need to be nearby to care and to pray. Because we know God listens. We know God hears. We know God answers. And he's a God of all comfort. And I think that would be biblical. As you walk and talk and live and move for however many days God gives you on this terrestrial ball. You love God. You follow the Lord Jesus and learn of him. And you believe. And you pray. 
pray on your own. Why? Because that's what believers do. They know that God is hearing and that God cares and that we need to have a one-way relationship with Him through the Lord Jesus. We pray. Jesus prayed. Up on a mountain, out in a field, in a solitary, quiet place. Those every day are getting harder to find. Leave your cell phone somewhere and go and pray. But don't forget this example where Jesus also said, sometimes you just need to pray with others too. In churches, in small groups, pray. Because people are hurting. And there are a lot of people who don't know. They don't know. They, they hope that the God they pray to hears them. They hope that the one they're thinking about will, will care about what they're hurting about. But we aren't like meteors tossed about by the wind. We know whom we believe. And we're persuaded that he will keep the deposit, our faith, in him until we are with him face to face. When we're with him, we'll be like him, the scriptures say. We will see him as he is. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. I hope you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. I hope you know what he's doing. He's doing exactly what his father wanted him to do, and that involves taking people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and changing them from pagan, unbelieving people to faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who pray, who pray. May God help us to do that. I thank you for your prayers for us. We would be off the field. We would not be in Madrid without them. Thank you so much, and God bless you as you press on here in Sterling Heights. Thank you, Pastor Dwight. Should I pray?